Why is the Bible a dangerous book? What were the false prophets of Ezekiel's day up to? What are the false prophets of today up to? Could you be a false prophet and not even know it? You'll find out today on the Cross References Podcast. Welcome to the Cross References Podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a shiny brand new Christian or a veteran Bible reader, our goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. This is Luke Taylor, and I'm not a false prophet. Of course, that's exactly what an actual false prophet would say. So how can we really know? Well, I'll tell you how to know if you stick around and listen to today's lesson. We're continuing our series in Ezekiel today, and I'm doing a second Ezekiel lesson in a row because I just felt like this one really needed to follow right after the last one. Um, This section and the previous section, they go together so well. They're all about false prophets. Uh, They're part of the same chapter. So I just wanted to go ahead and do both of these lessons together. Everyone knows the warnings about false prophets in the New Testament, like Matthew 7, 15, where Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. Or you probably know 2 Peter 2.1, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And false prophets are also an area of concern in the Old Testament as well. Uh, In one of the books that comments on the danger of false prophets is Ezekiel in chapters 12 and 13. And if you think you know all you need to know about false prophets just because you read Jesus' warnings in the New Testament, or maybe Moses' warnings in Deuteronomy— If you think you know all you need to know, then you wouldn't feel like Ezekiel's comments on the matter were necessary. But I want you to know today, Ezekiel is in your Bible for a reason. You can't just rip it out because it's redundant. It's there because God wanted us to know something about false prophets, things that aren't necessarily covered by those other passages. And that's why I'm digging into Ezekiel one verse at a time. So grab your Bible, let's flip to Ezekiel 13 and hear what he has to say to us today. I'll go ahead and mention now, uh, I'm doing another episode from my super special recording studio on the pool table in a basement next to an air conditioner unit. So you might have to hear some of those sounds. You might hear some interesting uh, squills and squeaks and you just got to deal with it because that's just how things are right now. So let's go ahead and get into Ezekiel 13. We'll pick up where we left off last time if you've been following through the series. If you haven't, you know, that's perfectly fine. You can just join in today. But we left off last time, I think, at verse 7, so we'll start at verse 8 today. And Ezekiel is going to describe the fate, right here, of the false prophets. And it ain't good. Ezekiel 13, 8 and 9 say, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Because you have uttered falsehood and seen lying visions, therefore, behold, I am against you, declares the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord God. So as a punishment for their false prophecies, the men who are making those prophecies, are, they're going to be stricken from the records of, Z, of Israel's families. That means that someday, which is actually going to come at least 70 years in the future, but it will come, the Israelites are going to be allowed to return 
to the land of Israel. But the descendants of these false prophets, they're going to lose their place. They won't be allowed to return. Actually, Ezra 2, verses 61 and 62, they make mention of this. Uh, somewhere where it says, um, it says, also of the sons of the priests, the sons of Habiah, the sons of Akaz, and the sons of Barzillai, who had taken a wife from the daughters of Barzillai the Gileadite, who was called, and was called by their name. These sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but they were not found there, and so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. And if you read Ezekiel 2, it, it's one of those chapters that people call the boring chapters because it's, it's full of names and genealogies. And, you know, we often skip over that kind of stuff in our Bible reading. But it's so great to just slow down once in a while and comb through them. There's nuggets of important info that are sprinkled into them. Like right here, it records that some of the members of priestly families lost their priesthood. The families weren't in the record, and it's probably because their ancestors were false prophets. So there are serious consequences for being a false prophet. Uh, their names were not recorded in the book. In a similar way, I'd point out that there's a book up in heaven. It's the Lamb's Book of Life. And there are false prophets today who can be blotted out of that book. Revelation says if, if we can overcome in the world, meaning to stay true to God, we will not be blotted out of that book. Revelation 3.5. This is a quote from Jesus. The one who conquers, that means to overcome, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. But for those who try to add to that book or to take away from it, the Bible says they'll be blotted out. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. It's a warning right there at the end of Revelation and at the end of the Bible. It says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So God takes false prophets seriously in New Testament times too. And that's just something to remember as we read about the judgments on them in the Old Testament. So Ezekiel 13 continues with a large chunk of verses here. Precisely because they have misled my people, saying peace when there is no peace, and because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash, say to those who smear it with whitewash that it shall fall. There will be a deluge of rain, and you, O great hailstones, will fall, and a stormy wind break out. And when the wall falls, will it not be said to you, where is the coating with which you smeared it? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath, and there shall be a deluge of rain in my anger, and great hailstones in wrath to make a full end. And I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash, and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you shall perish in the midst of it, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Thus will I spend my wrath upon the wall and upon those who have smeared it with whitewash. And I will say to you, the wall is no more, nor those who smeared it. The prophets of Israel who prophesied concerning Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for her when there was no peace, declares the Lord God. Chapter 13 of Ezekiel warns us about two types of false prophets. And early on in that chunk of verses, Ezekiel talked about the first type. It's those who claim to speak for God and do not. And this was a major focus of the last lesson, so we're not going to spend too much time on them today. The first type of false prophet, it's the one who claims to speak for God, which is the true God, okay, the God of the Bible, but actually do not. They speak delusionally, or they're lying, they're using their imagination, not the Holy Spirit. And so their prophecies don't come true. 
Specifically, the prophecies here that there was going to be peace when God has no intention of bringing peace. So what does God say about them? That when they build a wall, they smear it with whitewash. What does that mean? Well, a wall gets wear and tear over time. It develops cracks. And these cracks need to be repaired. Now, if you hired a deceptive repairman, he came in and he just put a coat of whitewash over the wall, but he didn't actually fill them in, fill in the cracks. He's just basically, he put a fresh coat of paint over it to make the wall look all nice, to make it look nice and shiny. But in reality, it was still in just as bad a shape as ever. Nowadays, we might call that putting lipstick on a pig. <laughs> That's what they called it where I grew up. But of course, a pig is still a pig, no matter how you try to dress it up. And when this wall has whitewash all over it, but the, but the internal cracks are still there, well, it's going to fall apart whenever a storm comes. It won't actually do you any good. And when Babylon comes knocking on Israel's door, the, the false prophecies of the first type of false prophet, they're not going to benefit Israel at all. They can't say, well, I thought God said we'd have peace. Because God's already telling you, I never said there would be peace. You just listened to a message that you wanted to hear. Guys, the Bible is a dangerous book. That's why you need to read it and know it. Because the Bible is dangerous. You can take the Bible and use it to make you say anything you want. You need to know what the Bible actually says. Not what some guy on a podcast tells you it says. You need to read it for yourself. Like, if I get something wrong, then I'm wrong. And the Bible is still right. Now, I'm trying to help you understand the Bible. That, that's my passion. But what you need to always do is be like the Berean Christians mentioned in Acts 17. Search the scriptures to see whether these things be so. Because at the end of the day, your relationship with God, it doesn't depend on what some other guy told you the Bible said. Your relationship with God is your responsibility. Here's another thing that can be dangerous. The wide variety of pastors and Bible studies that are out there. You can find a pastor to tell you just about anything you want. If you want to get divorced, you can find a pastor who's going to encourage you to get divorced. If you want to stop tithing, you can find a pastor who will tell you not to tithe. If you want to cheat on your spouse, there was literally a pastor in my town telling his people that it was okay to have an open marriage if that was what it took to make you happy. Look, you can find a pastor or a so-called Bible study that will justify whatever sin that you want to commit, whatever makes you happy. And that's why, regardless of what anybody tells you the Bible says, you need to know the Bible for yourself. If someone says something to you that you don't think sounds right, check it out next to the Bible, because there's a judgment day coming when we all must stand before God. And you won't be able to say, a pastor told me A, B, and C when the Bible said X, Y, and Z. As Ezekiel says, you'll be hiding behind a whitewashed wall. It won't do you any good to blame someone else. You can't do that when the Bible gives us warning after warning about false prophets and those who twist the scriptures. And that's why the first type of false prophet Ezekiel tells us about are those who claim to speak for God when they actually don't. Now, starting at verse 17, let's talk about the other type of false prophet. Ezekiel 13, verses 17 through 19. And you, son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy out of their own hearts. Prophesy against them and say, thus says the Lord God, Woe to the women who sew magic bands upon all wrists and make veils for the heads of persons of every stature in the hunt for souls. Will you hunt down souls belonging to my people and keep your own souls alive? You have profaned me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread, putting to death souls who should not die and keeping souls alive who should not live. 
by your lying to my people who listen to lies. So it's talking about something else false prophets do, and this time it refers to them as prophetesses, a female type of prophet. And I'm not sure if it's implying that only female prophets were doing this in Ezekiel's day. I don't think it actually is. I think Ezekiel is, is just trying to be gender neutral here. And, and he's doing that by actually condemning both the male false prophets earlier and the female false prophetesses now. So I'm not reading too much into the gender distinctive. Um, you, you know, just read it. False prophets of any kind doing what these false prophetesses were doing. And what are they doing? Well, they're mentioned as wearing magic bands and wearing veils. And these false prophets were using witchcraft and paganism to make declarations that deceive the people. And so this is the second type of false prophet, those that claim to speak for a different deity other than God. The first type claims to speak for God. The second type claims to speak for other gods. And other gods aren't mentioned by name here, but we do know that the worship of false gods is going on at the temple at this time. We just spent several lessons dealing with that. But as for this section, the Hebrew is really hard to parse. Um, there's some bizarre phrases in this section of verses that you don't really see anywhere else in the Bible. So the interpreters are a little bit unsure of the best way to translate them. I was reading from the ESV. If you look at other translations of this passage, you'll probably see some big variations in how they render it. But regardless, the idea that Ezekiel is trying to communicate is clear, even if the terminology is a little bit fluid. The main idea is that these false prophets or prophetesses, they're trying to spiritually manipulate people to entrap their souls. That's why it uses phrases like the hunt for souls. It's an unusual emphasis on the soul for Hebrew. But the paganism of Ezekiel's time, it had a strong emphasis on the soul. So that's probably why Ezekiel is using the word a lot. The false prophetesses, they're trying to steal the souls of the Israelites. Now, could they literally do this in some mystical way? Probably not. But they seem to think that they can. And so it's bad enough that they're even trying. God always warned Israel against mediums and witchcraft and so forth. And, and so that's why he continues in, in verse 20. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against your magic bands with which you hunt the souls like birds, and I will tear them from your arms, and I will let the souls whom you hunt go free, the souls like birds. Your veils also I will tear off and deliver my people out of your hand, and they shall be no more in your hand as prey. And you shall know that I am the Lord, because you have disheartened the righteous falsely, although I have not grieved him. And you have encouraged the wicked, that he should not turn from his evil way to save his life. Therefore you shall no more see false visions, nor practice divination. I will deliver my people out of your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Again, this Hebrew, it's a little unique. It's a little hard to translate. It says the souls like birds. <laughs> we aren't sure exactly what that's referring to. But the idea here is, is kind of plain. What they're trying to do is trap souls. Um, they're trying to lead the Israelites into worship of false gods and idols, and doing this will lead them to hell, aka to lose their soul. There are sometimes phrases that keep popping up really thick in a passage, especially in Ezekiel, um, what I would sometimes call our word of the day. Like previously in, in one of the recent lessons, it was sight, because the phrase in their sight kept being repeated. And, and this time around, it's the phrase, my people. God is using the phrase, my people, as he refers to the Israelites. And that's a bit unusual for God in this book because all, all along God has been talking about how they're not his people anymore. But God is unusually sympathetic about them in this chapter, calling them his people when the false prophets come in to lead them astray. 
God says the false prophets and prophetesses are parasites on the people. They want to use the people for their own ends. And this is the mark of a bad leader. Someone who sees his people as objects to serve him rather than seeing himself as a servant to the people. Now, the role of a pastor is different from the role of a prophet. But just like there can be true and false prophets, there can be true and false pastors. The false prophets are condemned not just for their false prophecies, but for why they're giving false prophecies. It's bad enough that they're lying, but let's look at why they're lying. They're lying to enrich themselves, to promote themselves as these spiritual leaders, to to make themselves more popular, to gain power over people. They're lying for self-serving reasons. They're parasites. So this makes a good lesson for anybody desiring the role of a pastor or a leader in the church. We can learn from the false prophets. A position of spiritual leadership is supposed to be about serving the people, not getting the people to serve you. There was this really shocking clip of a pastor that, I'm ashamed to say this, he comes from the same state as me. It's a Kansas City, Missouri pastor, who I guess he was not so satisfied with his pastor appreciation gifts. So he just goes off on his congregation. See, that's how I know you're still poor, broke, busted, and disgusted because of how you've been honoring me. I'm not worth your McDonald's money. I'm not worth your Red Lobster money. I ain't worth your St. John Nick. Y'all can't afford it no how. I ain't worth y'all Louis Vuitton. I ain't worth your Prada. I'm not worth your Gucci. Mother, ooh, I'm saying this, and I promise you, Deaconine, it's not with respect of won't. I'm saying it because I want you to understand just what God is saying. I even found out that Movado, you can buy a Movado watch in Sam's. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And y'all know I asked for one last year. Here it is the whole way in August. I still ain't got it. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Let me kick down the door and talk to my cheap sons and daughters. It's actually kind of hard not to laugh. I even though what he's saying is some terrible stuff, but <laughs> he's going off on them. And some of them are just like, come on, come on. <laughs> and what is he even saying here? He's saying that he wants an expensive watch. And I got to say, I don't understand why people want expensive watches. Like I have a $15 watch that I got at Walmart. And what does it do? It tells me what time it is. It even tells me what day of the week it is. But that's not why I bought it. I bought it actually because it's waterproof. So I don't have to take it off when I shower. And whenever it wears out, I'll just buy another $15 watch. That's all I need because all I need it to do is tell me what time it is. That's all I want from a watch. This watch actually does too much because if my toddler comes up and starts pushing buttons on it, it like switches to military time and I'm not in the military. So that means I have to do math if I want to know what the actual time is. And if he pushes another button, it turns on an alarm and then I have to Google it to find out how to turn the alarm off because otherwise it just goes off every day at the same time and I don't know how to shut it off so maybe next time I need to find like a more expensive watch that doesn't have all those annoying bonus features but there's no way I'm going to spend hundreds of dollars on a watch and I honestly don't understand these people who spend hundreds or thousands of dollars on watches okay and and but let me just say this as hard as that is for me to understand I find it even harder to wrap my mind around a person who expects other people to buy them a watch that costs hundreds of dollars because i'm like i wouldn't even waste my own money on that and i literally can't fathom expecting other people to waste their money on that for me 
And it flies in the face of what Jesus said in the New Testament, Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28. But Jesus called to them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, a pastor is not supposed to be in it for the gifts, but to give. Not for the income, but for the outcome. And by the way, if you have a pastor like that, tell him thank you this month. October is Pastor Appreciation Month. And I'm not saying you have to buy your pastor an expensive watch, but, you know, maybe a gift card or something, a card with some money. You know, if you've got a good pastor, let him know you think so. And back to this guy, I just find what the pastor said in that clip to be shocking. But what I was even more shocked about as I was listening to it is that there were some people in the crowd and they were amening him. They were like, come on, come on. And, and all along, all the way through it, he's basically getting cheered on in that nonsense. <laughs> and that's what I find more unsettling than anything else about it. Like, it's bad that he's a selfish leader. Okay, you know, if we judge him based on a one minute clip, he's not in ministry to serve others clearly. But what's worse to me is that there were people in there and they don't have the insight to realize how bad he is or how bad the things that he's saying are. They're following this guy anyway. They're cheering it on. And it just goes to show how much damage a false prophet can do. People can be too easily influenced by a charismatic speaker. They can be way, way, way too easily taken in because someone's really good at stirring up a crowd. You know, even if his message is entirely antithetical to the disposition of Jesus on leadership. So anyway, we'll stop there for today. Uh, let's pause and then have a recap and, and perhaps squeeze out a few more applications. We'll close down in a few minutes with a quick recap and some personal application of this chapter. And if you have a question on this chapter, leave a comment or shoot us an email, crossreferencespodcast at gmail.com. And I'd be happy to take questions or recommendations on what you'd like to hear me tackle in the future. The next time on this podcast, we're going to be talking about the Pharisees. Where did they come from? They aren't anywhere in the Old Testament. And then a few hundred years go by and the New Testament kicks off. And suddenly there's Pharisees all over the place. So what happened in between the Testaments to create all these Pharisees? Well, we'll talk about that. But today, just to recap, we discussed two types of false prophets. The first type were those covered by the first 16 verses of Ezekiel 13, the prophets who claim to speak for God. And so in the last lesson and in this one, we discussed the dangers of taking a thought or a feeling and assuming that God gave it to us and then declaring it as the word of the Lord. And look, we can often think or, or wonder whether God is speaking to us. And I think we should seek to hear the voice of God and what he might be saying to us throughout the day. But we also need to be careful about getting carried away with that and declaring it the word of God, because, you know, frankly, sometimes if we, if we do that too much, we're going to get it wrong. We'll mishear or we'll misunderstand. So watch yourself that you don't get carried away with it. And basically, you know, keep it to yourself whenever you hear from God. O only share what God is saying to you when one, when it's important to, and two, when you're absolutely sure that it was God saying it. 
because otherwise we run the risk of being like these false prophets of Ezekiel's day, who he called arrogant fools, people who were listening to their own imaginations. The second type of false prophet are those who claim to speak for another deity, a false god. Or when you're trying to tap into mystical, pagan, supernatural forces and, and quote, prophesy out of that. That's not as common as the first one, you know, here in the United States of America. I know there's some pagan worshipers in America. You know, you don't have to tell me that. I've met them. I'm just saying Christians in other countries or in other times of Christian history, they probably would have had more examples of that in their day-to-day life. Then, then what we have to deal with, and and I remember having a friend in college, and uh, and this friend befriended what was quite literally a pagan crowd, who just tried to tap into the the spiritual realm and have conversations with their guardian angels. They they just called them their guardians, and they said they used these things called Ouija boards to talk to them. And at that time, I'd never heard of a Ouija board, but I could tell from the description that my friend was giving me, it sounded a lot like witchcraft or paganism. And I remember pleading with her to, to stay away from that stuff. Like, I, I talked with her for hours about it, literally. But she was very interested in it. So anyway, I know witchcraft is still relevant. It's, it's something that American Christians need to be wary of. I'm just saying it's a lot thicker in other countries. But that, that part might not feel as relevant to us. It, now, verse 22 of this chapter, it did feel especially relevant to today. That This was God speaking to the false prophets of the second type. And, and here's what he said. Because you have disheartened the righteous falsely, although I have not grieved him. And you have encouraged the wicked that he should not turn from his evil way to save his life. You see, when your deity is wrong, you find yourself condemning the righteous and defending the wicked. Because God is the source of truth. God is the source of what is right and wrong. So when you get the wrong God, there's going to be things that are off kilter in your morality. And you'll be calling good evil and evil good. And that feels so relevant because we see so much of that today. There are people who are so opposed to God in America. They are so opposed to biblical morality. And I mean, there's people who call themselves Christians, but they absolutely hate biblical morality, especially when it comes to the the sexual ethics of the Bible. I'm not trying to be political. I'm not even talking about politics right now. I'm talking about people and their personal attitudes to God and the Bible. There are people who absolutely hate and are embarrassed by what the Bible says about creation, about right and wrong, about the exclusivity of Christ. And and these are the battlegrounds in our culture. There's some who call themselves Christians, and yet they attack the Christians who believe the Bible, and they encourage sinners in their sin. They dishearten the righteous and encourage the wicked, as verse 22 said. And when you encourage the wicked in their wickedness, he won't turn from his evil way to save his life. You're encouraging them right down the road to hell. So there's Christians like that out there, and and they make me mad. And then there are Christians like me who make me madder. I I get more mad at myself than anyone. There was a passage I just read in the NIV application commentary on Ezekiel. This is by Ian DeGuid. And I just got, I got so convicted over this. I, I felt like I just need to share it, okay? I hope you're not as convicted by this as I was. But for me, this was just too powerful not to share. He wrote, In truth, all of us who preach or talk to others about Christianity are familiar with the temptation to be a false prophet from time to time. Sometimes the temptation is to be a jackal. As a jackal, the ruins of other people's lives are of no account to you so long as you have the things you need. You have little concern for those around you going to a lost eternity in hell. Your own interests are more important. 
At other times, perhaps the temptation is to be a draft dodger, happy to let others stand in the gap rather than you. Your security and safety are what are really important to you, so you do not witness to those at work or at school, because they might laugh at you or think you're weird. Not for you a place on the front lines of evangelism, you'd rather watch from the sidelines. And still other times the temptation comes to be a whitewasher. You never confront anyone about their sinful lifestyle, instead by your silence, you whitewash their wall. Should I witness to that family member who is a Mormon? Why, he lives such a good moral life. Splish splash. On goes another coat of whitewash. Should I inquire whether my family members are really trusting in Jesus for their salvation? But they all go to church, don't they? Splish splash. The appearance is all that counts. If the truth be told, there's a little bit of each of these categories of false prophet within each of us. So that, that quote again, that's from the NIV application commentary on Ezekiel, and that's by Ian DeGuid. And I just read that. I'm like, that is spot on. It's so easy to condemn those who actively deceive the lost, but we can, you know, in a more passive way, we can do the same thing whenever we keep our mouth shut instead of being brave and speaking up to, to be a jackal and let someone destroy their own life while we turn a blind eye or to be a draft dodger, let others do the work of evangelism while I'm content to sit on the sidelines to be a whitewasher who, who pretends that everyone else is just doing fine so I don't ruffle any feathers. Well, what's at the heart of all these? It's an attitude that says, I've got my salvation, I got my ticket to heaven, and I'm not gonna worry about everyone else. Well, if we get that complacent and uncaring about other people, we might wanna rethink whether we have a little bit too much confidence in that ticket to heaven. When Jesus called us, he called us to more than that. He called us to be fishers of men. Christianity is not a spectator sport. Now, we might not all get a gold medal when it comes to getting people saved, but let's at least go for a participation trophy. Thanks for listening to the Cross References Podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you that you don't need to spend more than $15 to know what time it is. Oh, 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 o